they have no wine. Words of the second chapter of John's Gospel, verse 3, the Gospel of this Mass. Wedding receptions have long been a major component of the celebration of a marriage. Nowadays, the couple have to reserve the reception hall at least one year before the ceremony. Jovial and at times noisy, wedding receptions have been known to go on well into the night. But when it came to nuptial partying, no no one could come close to the Jews of our blessed Lord's time. When Jews celebrated the marriage, they really celebrated it. The festivities did not last until the sunset or the sunrise, but their wedding parties lasted for one week, and sometimes two. Now that is a party. The wedding would take place usually on Wednesday evening, and the newlyweds were led through the village streets, accompanied by torches, with a hoopah, a ceremonial canopy over their heads. They wore crowns and were treated as royalty. When they arrived back at the house, the festivities began. The feast was usually energetic and noisy. Picture a young couple and their guests all dancing and singing Havanagila. Um, it was a couple of years ago, I was on vacation, and there was a, the hotel had an Orthodox Jewish uh, reception, a wedding reception, on the beach. And uh, I could hear the singing, singing Havanagila, as they, the men danced in a circle, because the Orthodox men danced with the men, women danced with the women. And uh, very happy. And I, I sat on my balcony and listened to it and took in as far as I could their happiness. One historian described the festival gathering of a wedding this way Everybody ate a great deal, and everybody drank a great deal. St. John wrote, There was a wedding at Cana, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus was invited to the wedding. Mary was, perhaps, related to one of the wedding couple, or a close friend. And she was the major person invited. Jesus had also been invited, probably because he was her son. Jesus was not ashamed to escort his widowed mother to a wedding reception, even though he was 30, unmarried, and still living at home. St. John tells us that the disciples of Jesus were also invited. Jesus brought along a few of his buddies, and that was probably what caused what threw the wrench into all the details. The rabbis had a saying, 
Without wine, there is no joy. Wine was an essential part of the Middle Eastern wedding. And to run out of wine would be considered a great humiliation for the married couple, the newlyweds. Because the wine was a necessary component of the convivialities, and the wedding reception lasted a very, very long time, the host would usually dilute, gradually, the wine, thinking that the more a person drank, less he would notice the quality of the wine. Since she was close to the couple, Mary must have had some role in preparing the wedding feast, the wedding food, and she probably was in the kitchen. Her eyes were attentive. They watch. They watch the activities of the feast. She notices everything. She sees that the supply of wine is becoming low and soon will run out. And the happiness of that blissful couple would come to an end. For the guests would leave. The couple would be shamed on the threshold of their life together. Aware of this impending disgrace to the couple, Mary goes to her son and says, They have no wine. Vinum non habent. Now, is this mere gossip? Or is it a request for a miracle to save the day? Christ responds somewhat bluntly, Woman, what concern is that to, of mine or thine? Christ was probably using a Semitism. He's saying to his mother, Woman, leave me alone. Do not interfere with me. Strong words, almost harsh words for a son to speak to his mother. Our Lord then explains, My hour has not yet come. Mary was a woman of great faith. Her cousin Elizabeth said of her, Blessed is she who trusted the Lord's words to her would be fulfilled. Those were the defining words were spoken by the angel Gabriel more than 30 years before. And Mary had responded, Be it done to me according to thy word. Fiat mihi secundum verum tuum. In the beautiful joy of Christmas, she was reminded that the joy would be short-lived. In the temple, the old man Simeon had prophesied about her baby boy. He will be a sign that is contradicted, that is opposed. He will be the cause of the rise and fall of many in Israel. And your own heart will be torn by a sword that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Mary knew from the angel's message that a son would be the Messiah. 
She knew from the prophets that he would be a point of controversy and be opposed. What did it mean that her very heart would be pierced? Mary was a woman of great faith. Every day at Nazareth, she would pray that when the day comes for Jesus to leave her side and accomplish his mission, she would not hold him back, but set him forth to do the will of his Father in heaven. Every day, her lips repeated the words of her faith. Fiat miki secundum secundum verum tuum. My hour has not come, said Jesus. What does he mean by that? Our Lord meant the moment he performs a miracle. That moment, he would launch his public ministry. He had no control over it. Once he performs a miracle, he would begin his trek to Calvary. His hour, the time of his sacrifice of the Lamb of God, would commence. Mary and her son Jesus were closer than any mother and son in history in two ways. Spiritually, because she was an obedient daughter of Abraham and lacking original sin, she was single-hearted. And physically, because all the human traits of Jesus, all his personality traits, were restored on him by her. There existed then a deep communion between the two. Then Mary turned and delivered the will of Christ to the servants and also to generations to come. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Did Mary realize what she was doing? She was sending her own son off to his death. She was also stepping into the background. From that moment on, she would become just a follower of Christ, of her son, with no particular role or influence as any mother might have. She would remain backstage, giving her beloved son her spiritual support, and she would do that for three years. Then the Virgin Mother of Nazareth would step once more onto the stage and become the mother whose heart would be torn. Notice how the fourth gospel treats of Mary. First, she's never called by her name, never called Mary. She's called by her position, the mother of Jesus. Secondly, in this gospel, which has been called the most marrying of all four gospels, she appears only twice. Like bookends, she stands at the beginning of our Lord's public life, 
and at the end of his public life. At the wedding of Cana and in Calvary, where she will receive the commission from her son to be mother to all the church. Without any comment, our blessed Lord says to the servants, Fill the jars with water to the brim. The stone jars where Christ was referring to were large stone pots holding altogether 150 gallons. They held water for purification. When a guest would cleanse his dirty sandal feet from a walk or wash his hands before he ate. They were not fancy, but utilitarian objects needed to ensure the hygiene of the dinner guests. Without saying anything, this common water becomes uncommon wine. 150 gallons of it and prompting the head waiter to tell the groom, you have kept the good wine until the last. Jesus had crossed the Rubicon. There was no turning back. The people soon heard of the miracle. Christ had performed a mighty deed. And as St. John comments, the disciples came to believe in him. He had started his public life, his three-year journey to Calvary and to his death. She who said yes to God's invitation and gave her son a human nature now sends him to his death. Why did Mary do this? Because it was the will of God. And she was a handmaiden. As her son would later say, Not my will, but thine be done. This mysterious encounter between mother and son is re revealed by the key word, woman, which Christ uses to address his mother. I ask, why would a son call his mother woman? I know I would not have dared to call my mother that. But Jesus calls his mother, Mary, woman, two times in St. John's Gospel. One time at Cana, the other time at Calvary, from the cross, when he gave Mary his mother, as mother to the church. Woman was a signal word, a cue, spoken by her son, and Mary knew what it meant. It was like a play. A cue was given. In the Garden of Paradise, after the fall, the sin of Adam and Eve, mankind was lost. In the midst of this primeval groom, 
this primeval gloom. God held, God held out the hope of a redeemer of the human race. God said to the serpent, the satanic serpent in the garden, I will place enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring and yours. You will strike at her heel, and she will crush your head. Woman. Mary is that woman of Genesis. And she knew it. How could anyone read this passage from Scripture and doubt that Mary is an intercessor with her son? St. Alphonse Liguri said, Why are Mary's prayers so effective with God? The prayers of the saints are prayers of servants, whereas Mary's are a mother's prayer. No one asks the Blessed Virgin to intercede and request her son come to the rescue of the couple. But Mary's heart cannot but take pity on the unfortunate couple. It stirs her to act as intercessor and ask her son for a miracle, even though he doesn't want to do it, and even though no one asks you to do it. If Our Lady acted like this, without being asked, what would she not have done if they actually asked her to intervene? Ask Our Blessed Lady today to intercede with her Divine Son that you might, that he might turn your colorless, monotonous lives of everyday water into the best of wine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.